Warning, today's series contains sensitive content. Generation Global is a project founded by an international group of high school students. Dedicated to capturing diverse perspectives of the adolescent experience in the early 2020s. An era dominated by the polarizing effects of global political tensions. Gripping social issues and scientific innovation all under the context of a global pandemic. Join us every two weeks for an episode of Generation Global. We'll invite you to listen into the factual, reliable information on pressing topics, as well as the sincere observations and reflections of young people all around the world on these topics. Welcome to Generation, Generation Global. Generation Mundial. Global na Generation Welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of Generation Global. Today, join me, Jasmine Dedeker, and our speakers Bronwyn Ewart, Maddie Tufnell, and Daniela Chamarro to listen in on a discussion of the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And if you haven't already, make sure to listen to Episode 3 on the same topic. I'm going to pass it back to Bronwyn for another brief introduction before we move on to today's topic. Yeah, of course. So if you saw Episode 3, then you would know that we're speaking about the overturn of Roe v. Wade in the United States. And this, you know, overturning of the Supreme Court decision has divided the opinion opinions of American citizens. While some say that the overturn is a major setback for women's reproductive rights, some applaud the Supreme Court's decision. Today we'll be focusing more on the global response. So I wanted to ask everybody kind of a question. What do you know about abortion laws around the world and maybe have you talked to anybody from a different country about Roe? I'm from Mexico, so I definitely can talk more about abortion laws here in Mexico. So like here is similar to the United States because here every state decides whether abortion is legal or illegal and basically like the parameters. So I think in most of the states it's illegal, but they have some exceptions like with rape, incest, and if it threatens a mother's life. We have a few states which they are trying to be more progressive and we have been having some states that have legalized abortion, but I think it's only around 12 to 14 weeks, approximately. I actually think that's quite similar to what we have here in Thailand. So in Thailand, the abortion law is that it's legal up to 12 weeks of pregnancy. However, anything after your first trimester of pregnancy, you can be criminalized for. But in Thailand, abortion is so frowned upon religiously, as it is a primarily Buddhist country. Not only is it frowned upon, it is so, so hard to find a doctor willing to perform an abortion, especially if you under social stature are able to carry a child to term there's no medical risks if there's no physical medical risk there's so little a Thai doctor is willing to do especially with mental health being so frowned upon here as well and there's so much stigma around mental health so much stigma around like depression and stuff like that even existing so I think that's a pretty similar kind of approach as of Mexico yeah 100% and I think that's the experience in Thailand is also quite similar to the US because instead of kind of it being frowned on by many people because Thailand is primarily Buddhist. The U.S., you know, it is frowned on by a lot of Catholics and Christians, and I'm not saying it is frowned on by the entirety of them, not whatsoever, but, you know, it is kind of the common perception that it is a sin by these Catholics and Christians. And, you know, they are allowed to have their opinion, but I think when the issue comes in is when it controls the legal proceedings and when it controls other people's access to these abortions, like what you're saying, what is happening in Thailand, is which it kind of discourages people from access 
accessing them and also kind of puts barriers in their way. Yeah. Going back to like the general viewpoint of abortion around the world, nearly 60 countries have liberalized their abortion laws over the last 25 years, which I think is really interesting to talk about. And only three countries have scaled back on abortion rights since 1994, which are El Salvador, Nicaragua and Poland. Yeah, and so now we kind of want to go into the global response to this overturning of Roe v. Wade, specifically the response by Canada, the UK, the UN, Scotland, Spain, Norway, France, and Belgium, who have all had negative responses to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So Madison, do you want to talk a little bit about Canada's response? Yeah, so in Canada, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau called the United States Supreme Court's decision to revoke the constitutional right to an abortion as horrific. And on Twitter wrote, no government, no politician or man should tell someone with a uterus what she can and cannot do with her body. Since Canada does share a border with the United States, is Canada also affected? So there's some insight to this where it says some advocates expect that abortion bans in the U.S. will end up boosting demand at Canadian clinics, obviously to those who can access Canadian clinics. However, the states that border Canada, such as North Dakota and Idaho, are soon to illegalize abortion. And Canada can also expect more Americans to cross its borders in order to receive abortion care. And with this, since Canada will obviously prioritize Canadians, America Americans may be placed on waitlist. Yeah, and so now I kind of wanted to talk about the UK's response and specifically former Prime Minister Boris Johnson's response. He called the overturn a backwards step and the UN Security General spokesperson Stephanie Derjaric recited on June 24th, the day of the overturn, the organization's stand on abortion stating that sexual and reproductive health and rights are the foundation of a life of choice empowerment and equality for the world's women and girls. Dejaric also added that it's also important to note that restricting access to abortion does not prevent people from seeking abortion. It only makes it more deadly. And one interesting thing that I wanted to note was that the UN actually states that forced pregnancy is a violation of human rights in their list of violations of human rights. Therefore, by overturning Roe v. Wade, the United States Supreme Court has technically committed a you know violation of human rights, basic human rights defined by the United Nations. And so, Daniela, do you want to talk a little bit about Scotland's response? Yeah, sure. So, First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, said, One of the darkest days for women's rights in my lifetime. Obviously, the immediate consequences will be suffered by women in the U.S., but this will embolden the anti-abortion and anti-woman forces in other countries, too. Solidarity doesn't feel enough right now, but it is necessary. I think the First Minister brings a really interesting point about how this decision will start giving ideas to other countries to start banning abortions in their own laws. Maddie, do you want to talk about another country? So in Spain, Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez said in a tweet that's been translated to English that we cannot take any rights for granted and that social achievements are always at risk of going backwards and their defense has to be our day to day. Women must be able to decide freely about their lives. Yeah, and so we want to kind of talk about now the global effect on women, trans men, and non-binary people a little bit. So, you know, we know that outlawing abortion won't stop people from terminating pregnancies, but it will make it riskier and more expensive, said Rupin Gill, an obstetrician gynecologist with Medicines Sans Frontieres and the University of Toronto. The people who are going to suffer the most from this are not wealthy, white, cis-hetero women. It's going to be black women, people of color, people with low socioeconomic status, and the LGBTQIA community. And so, Maddie, do you want to talk a little bit more specifically about the socioeconomic effect? 
Socioeconomically, it affects many women because most women seeking abortions have trouble financially. According to a study published by the University of California, San Francisco in 2018, women who are denied an abortion are more likely to be in poverty when compared to women who have received one. Being denied an abortion also makes it less likely for a woman to be employed full-time six months later. Overall, laws that restrict access to abortions may result in worsened economic outcomes for women. There is also the part where overturning Roe is especially harmful to trans men and non-binary people. Roe being overturned coincides with rising violence targeting trans people as more states introduce and pass anti-trans bills. Many reproductive health care clinics already emphasize that their services are meant for women and not those who are non-binary or trans. Shutting down abortion clinics can also mean that trans and non-binary patients may no longer have access to hormones from these clinics, leading to a loss of gender-affirming care. Yeah, and I think that point, you know, it does hit home for me because I am non-binary and, you know, I have always struggled to feel welcomed in kind of this environment and, you know, we've been shut out from many conversations because they say it's a woman-only conversation or because we have a uterus, they automatically identify us as women. And even though we don't identify as women, we should still be included in this discussion. And I do know a lot of trans men who have been denied hormone therapy because they are under 18 and doctors are now starting to say it's too risky or they don't want to lose their medical license. And even Florida, you know, DeSantis, our governor, is rolling out laws that will block trans youth from accessing gender-affirming care. And that started to kind of run rampant after the Supreme Court landmark decision. And so I really think we're kind of going backwards and going in the wrong direction with this. And soon, a lot of, you know, young non-binary and trans people will not have access to gender-affirming care, and that will affect their mental health negatively. And they won't be able to view themselves as they always have felt inside. And, you know, I think that's kind of something we need to focus on and we also need to provide resources for specifically trans men and non-binary people in these trying times. And so now we kind of wanted to discuss some activist organizations a little bit. So first we want to kind of look at a pro-choice activist organization called Planned Parenthood, which I think many of you will probably be familiar with. It was actually founded in 1916 in New York by Margaret Sanger. And Planned Parenthood is a non-profit organization that provides a variety of reproductive health care, including abortion access. And their political advocacy pertains to abortion includes helping to sponsor abortion rights and women's rights events, opposing laws requiring ultrasounds before abortions, initiatives that require waiting periods before abortions, and bans on late-term abortions. Other initiatives that they support are birth control and long-acting reversible contraception, emergency contraception, clinical breast examinations, cervical cancer screening, and pregnancy testing and pregnancy options consoling, prenatal care, testing and treatment for sexually transmitted infections, sex education, vasectomies, and LGBTQ services. And one thing I want to say about Planned Parenthood is that they have been extremely active in my community ever since this decision, but they have also been a huge supporter of the LGBTQIA community. I've seen them always out at pride events and always talking to people and registering people for volunteering with them and just providing like a helping hand and saying, you know, someone is here and someone supports you and we want to help you with your mental and physical health. They've also donated quite a bit to LGBTQ IA organizations within my community, and I've seen them extremely active. And does anybody else have any other organizations that they know, maybe in their respective countries? For those over 18 in America, there are a lot of resources. There's this one company which, after the Supreme Court decision was passed, there were advertisements everywhere, Instagram, TikTok, about abortion pills being mailed to your front door. I think this is super helpful for those who can access it, and for those who can't as well. Obviously, you have to be over 18, but 
if you are over 18 and you are in need, this is a great way to do it. They'll mail you one. It's pretty low cost. You're, I'm pretty sure your insurance covers it. If your insurance will, it will cover the abortion pill cost. So yeah, if needed, there is still access. It's just so limited to the point where it's not right. But if needed, there are places you could just look it up where it says like at home abortion pills and a bunch will come up and you can just sign up for one and they'll mail them to you and they will also help you with aftercare. Yeah, 100%. And I've also seen a lot of people, you know, recommending that if you do depend on birth control for whatever reason you depended on it for, that is, you know, you're saying your right to privacy. But a lot of people are suggesting that you stock up on that because the Supreme Court has stated that they will come after the right to contraceptive. And, you know, a lot of legislators and a lot of politicians have already threatened that that will no longer be protected. And so I definitely recommend, you know, checking out, you know, keeping yourself updated on your state's laws on not only abortion, but additionally contraceptive, because, you know, you never know when they will (laughs) make a decision like this, because we were all pretty shocked with, you know, Roe v. Wade. And so, you know, please just kind of, you know, prepare, be prepared, keep yourself up to date and, you know, just kind of play it by ear, honestly. And I wish it didn't come down to that. And, you know, I wish that we could all have access to medical care. But in this current state in America, it's just, you know, you got to be careful. But yeah, that's the recommendation I have. I have followed that recommendation because I do take contraceptives for healthcare, not for, you know, any other purpose, but because I do have a health condition that makes it extremely difficult to live my daily life without access to these pills. So if that right is taken away from me, then I will no longer be able to really function in the world because of the intense pain. So, you know, that's kind of a situation for a lot of people around the U.S. right now. And I think their voices are not heard enough, honestly, because they're there are a lot of chronically ill people who are going to be affected by this decision disproportionately, just like people with a low socioeconomic status. And so, Daniela, do you have anything to share about any places you found in Mexico? I knew that there are actually right now seven states that allow abortion, that it's legal with no restrictions and it's only until the 12th week of pregnancy. But I also found that Planned Parenthood Global is actually giving funding to some organizations here in Mexico. So for example, there's this organization called Las Libres, which is focused on providing services and trustful information about how to access abortion in the whole country. And they're actually trying to amplify their reach through trying to have attention with like individuals and also like with a TV approach, like they're trying to promote their services in TV, which I actually think is really interesting because here in Mexico, the topic is not really talked about a lot like in a daily basis and it's a really controversial topic and they never teach us like sex education in school so I think it's really important that these organizations are like sharing this important information and also I think that we should research more about how we can help these organizations and how to keep us educated about what we can do for others and also to finish I have a book recommendation which is Ordinary Equality by Kate Kelly so nearly 100 years since the Equal Rights Amendment was introduced into Congress in 1923 this author traces the history of activists who have fought for women's rights and their 
impact on the movement. This author also argues that passing the ERA, which is the Equal Rights Amendment, would have secured Roe v. Wade. And she says, we cannot shut up until equality is written into the text of the U.S. Constitution, cementing permanent protection for both groups into our most fundamental document. Thank you for that book recommendation, Daniela, and I encourage our readers to check that out and many more texts like it that you can find on whatever platform you use to read. But it's just very important to kind of stock up on mental knowledge and information when looking into this topic, because it is such a deep and heated topic that I feel like, you know, without facts and information and legal knowledge, you can't really make an argument. So I definitely encourage people to look into the scientific story behind this, as well as the legal story behind Roe v. Wade and everything that comes with it. But thank you, Daniela. And does anybody have any kind of final points to make or any kind of takeaways, any ideas? So I would like to end with saying that abortion is such an important reproductive right. It should not be taken for granted, as we have seen in America. And I think that it's important to talk more about it and to share our knowledge about how we can access to this right. And it's really important to stay educated about these topics. Yeah. yeah. And I also encourage people, if you're going to have a conversation with someone who maybe is not pro-choice and doesn't have the same viewpoints as you, I encourage you to kind of use factual information and have a respectful discussion with them and, you know, encourage respect in these discussions. Because, you know, in my opinion, I think that is the only way that you're going to change people's minds. I've changed a few people's minds just by speaking respectfully and by, you know, presenting factual information and not letting, you know, it turn into like a screaming match or something or turn it into violence. But definitely, I think one of the most powerful ways too that you can fight back against this is to vote. Please vote. You know, I'm begging you guys. It's extremely important. And I know I'm, you know, I'm 17. I can't vote yet. But I am, you know, begging some older, you know, 18 year olds, people 19 year olds who haven't been motivated to vote in the past because they don't think that their vote matters. I am telling you it does. It matters now more than any time in the past. So please, please, please vote. That's a great point, Brownlin. I totally agree. It's really important to stay informed and vote. And so just to wrap it up, thank you guys so much for speaking on this topic. And listeners, if you want to hear more, make sure to check out episode five, where I interview the co-founder of an organization called Public Cervix Announcement. And that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thank you. And have a lovely day. Bye. Thank you for listening to Generation Global. If you like what you heard, please be sure to give us a follow on your preferred listening platform, as well as our Instagram, at GenGlobalPodcast, to stay updated on any new content. Depending on what platform you're tuning in on, whether it be platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, likes, saves, and shares are all appreciated. Once again, thank you so much for your time, and we hope again to see you soon on Generation Global. Thank you.